Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 170 of the Mo Money Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Morehouse. Thanks for joining me for another episode. This one is all about investing. I More and more, I'm loving the topic of investing. Um, if you've been a longtime listener of mine, and, and there are quite a few of you who were there on episode one three years ago, which is amazing. That was a long-term relationship, friends. Like we've been dating, like we're talking marriage at this point. Anyway, um, so if you've been there since the beginning, you probably remember some of those early episodes I had with guests about investing where I'll be honest, didn't know heck of a lot. I thought I did. And then you talk to someone smarter than you about investing who has way more experience. You're like, oh, I've got a lot to learn. Well, um, I have learned quite a lot in three years. And honestly, a lot of it has to do with me having guests on the show talking about investing. So I kind of feel like if I'm learning, you guys are learning because you were also listening to those episodes that I did. Anyways, uh, for this episode, I'm very excited about it because I'm talking to Atal Tawari. He's the managing director and the head of Vanguard Investments Canada. So uh, if you've been listening to the uh, last few episodes, Vanguard Canada has been the sponsor for a couple episodes. Thanks, Vanguard. And uh, I decided to also have one of their uh, people on the show because I'm a big fan of Vanguard. Um, I know a lot of my American friends are, and uh, it's becoming a lot more well-known in Canada, which is exciting. And the reason Vanguard's so cool is they invented, like, this Vanguard, they invented the index fund, guys. Super nerdy, super exciting. So um, anyway, so I, I actually re- wrote a really, uh, well, in my opinion, great blog post about it. Uh, just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash Vanguard to read all about uh, Vanguard. It kind of goes into like the history of Vanguard and also what uh, Vanguard Canada is about because it's part of Vanguard, but it's in Canada. So we obviously they offer different products than what they offer in the States. Um but anyways, we do kind of talk about that in the episode, and we just talk about um, investing as a whole and just uh, some things that you really do need to know about. And I'm excited because, um, I, as I've mentioned a lot in my email list, my Facebook group, and social – I don't know, maybe I haven't m- mentioned in social media. Maybe just my email list and Facebook group. Um, I am in the midst of working uh, on a investing course. I'm hoping to have it done in the next few weeks. Um, it's actually going to be a two-part. So I'm actually going to have two different investing courses because there's just so much content. I had to split it up into two courses. But uh, anyways, uh, so to get you kind of pumped about this episode and to give you a little background on Atal Tawari, my guest, um, he has a really interesting background. So he joined Vanguard back in 2011. But before that, he was the senior vice president of BMO Asset Management. And he was also the founding president of BMO Exchange Traded Funds. So he's a big fan of ETFs. Woo, who isn't? Um, if that's not like impressive enough, he also um, has experience practicing law. He uh, has was called to the Law Society of Upper Canada and the Supreme Court of England and Wales. So this guy knows what he's talking about. He's um, super passionate about investing too, which is why he eventually um, started working with Vanguard. But we're going to get to all of that um, interesting stuff in this episode, which I'm going to get to right now. Well, thank you at all for joining me on the Mo Money Podcast. I'm excited to talk investing with you. Thank you for having me, Jessica. 
You are so welcome. Um, before we kind of dive in to all the questions I have uh, to ask you, I'm very excited about. I'd love to get to know you a little bit more because you have a very interesting background. You've been in the game for a long time, have held some very important um, positions, and you've been with Vanguard for a while too. That's right. Yes. Uh, so I've been in the financial services industry for um, probably over 20 years now. Um, and uh, I'm actually a reformed lawyer. So I know I, I saw out, that. <laughs> <laughs> but I started out, I was, there? <laughs> I was a corporate securities lawyer and uh, working uh, within the investment banking um, and securities practice in uh, in uh, the BMO Financial Group. And um, I, I kind of was very interested in learning more about businesses and, and how they work and how they run and eventually was able to uh, join the asset management group in a non-legal role. So that mm. uh, uh, put me over into uh, uh, more of the uh, the executive management stream and strategy and all of those fun things. So that's how it started. Uh, I set up the BMO ETFs and mm. have been a, uh, an avid supporter of um, ETFs and low cost investing for many years and mm-hmm. uh, ultimately uh, was able to um, join Vanguard and, and lead Vanguard into Canada. Um, mm-hmm. I'd been, a, as I mentioned, a fan of uh, ETFs and low cost investing and Mr. John Bogle, the founder of Vanguard, uh, has written, I think, 10 books now and I've mm-hmm. written, I've read all of them. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, it was quite something to have the opportunity then to join uh, you know, the firm that he had founded and um, uh, certainly a person that I, that I admire quite a bit and had looked up to in my early years uh, in the industry. Yeah, me too. I'm a big fan of his. I just um, this summer was able to read his uh, comments or a little book of common sense investing and I was, I'm just obsessed with it. So (laughs) big fan over here too. (laughs) Right. Good to hear. Yeah. Very cool. So, so you've been with uh, Vanguard Canada for a little while. So I think um, when I think of Vanguard, I've I've been familiar with the brand Vanguard for a number of years because I've been the, you know, personal finance kind of blogging community for over seven years. And uh, I kind of got familiar with it from all the uh, American bloggers I know. They love Vanguard. They're all about it. And, um, but I feel, I feel like in terms of Canada, people still aren't actually very aware that there's a difference between, you know, Vanguard as it, you know, the company that started back in the 70s and then Vanguard Canada because it only recently kind of came to Canada. Is that correct? Um, that's right. So I was hired in May of 2011 to um, be the, the first Canadian crew member and that's what we call our employees. You know, there's mm. a nautical theme. Um, and <laughs> and and so we uh, uh, we launched, uh, listed our first six Canadian ETFs in December of 2011. Mm-hmm. So we've been in the market for almost seven years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right, in the U.S., uh, Vanguard started in 1975 by Mr. Vogel. Um, so uh, Canada is one of the um, non-U.S. countries of focus for Vanguard. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a deep commitment to the country. And we're now up to almost 60 uh, crew members in Canada mm-hmm. um, across uh, all of our products that we distribute into Canada or um, have listed here. We've now um, got about $30 billion in assets under management that Canadians have entrusted to us in in Mm -hmm. the last seven years. So we're very happy about uh, the growth. And as you've pointed out, in the U.S., Vanguard is a household name. Mm -hmm. In Canada, um, not so much against uh, in in the um, individual retail um, space. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, part of uh, uh, 
part of what we hope to do in the future is uh, get the brand and the, our principles and our structure and all of those things that make us unique more well-known. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What do you feel like is, um, the, I guess, the biggest reason why um, Vanguard isn't as well-known in Canada at the minute? Is it because it's you know only recently kind of launched in the past couple of years? You just have a lot of competition from the big banks? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when we came into the market in 2011, I think there was a, a, a belief that Vanguard was better known than it actually was. Mm. And so we we learned through our f- early days that we needed to go back to the basic principles of um, educating everybody on uh, who Vanguard is and what we do. Mm-hmm. So the the thing that makes us unique is our ownership structure. So in the United States, um, individuals own our mutual funds and our ETFs. And then those mutual funds and ETFs in turn own Vanguard, the company. Mm-hmm. So basically, you could think of Vanguard as a mutual. Um, and the way that the company operates, again, in the U.S. is at cost. Mm-hmm. So once we pay you know, the, the salaries and, and the, the premises and the technology bills, everything else goes back to the investors in the form of lower and lower fees. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very unique model in the financial services industry and Mm -hmm. it's allowed us to you know over the last uh, 40 odd years continuously reduce the price of investing in our um, products um, as a result of uh, this structure and and the scale that we've attained uh, globally at now over five trillion US dollars in in assets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about fees because the idea of of our favorite topics. Yes, I love talking about fees. And I feel like honestly, (laughs) it's only been in the past couple of years that people, you know, in the media or just in general are are more aware of the fees that they're paying uh, uh, for their investments. But um, also, you know, the media is talking about why it's so important to keep fees low. This was never a conversation that honestly, um, was that prevalent, I'd say in the past five years, but recently in the past couple of years, people are talking more about it. Why do you think that is? Do you think it is because a lot more um, companies are, are coming out with these ETFs that have low fees? So there's like, oh, there's another option. There's not just high fee mutual funds out there to uh, to invest in. And and why? You know, we'll, we'll start with that. Why why do you think this conversation is or is happening right now, especially in Canada, where it's probably happened for a while in the U.S. about the the cost of fees? Like most honestly, like a couple of years back, I would talk to friends and they had no idea they were even paying fees. <laughs> <laughs> I think, unfortunately, Jessica, a lot of people still aren't aware of the the fees that they're paying in their mm-hmm. investments, um, and that's unfortunate. But um, <clears throat> you know, part of it is investor awareness, and uh, you know, there is. There's some accountability, I think, on the part of investors to also understand what they're paying and, mm-hmm. and the value that they're getting for uh, for what they're paying for. Um, so education awareness, very important. And I think over the last, as you pointed out, few years, um, a, a few companies have done well in promoting this fact that, you know, you need to look at the cost of your investments because countless studies have shown that, uh, the best predictor of your future performance in your mm-hmm. investments is the cost of them. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's very simple. Um, so it, it's a very important thing for investors to focus on. I think, uh, you know, we'd like to think that we had something to do with uh, raising the discussion level a little bit in the, mm-hmm. uh, in the space. 
it's uh, there's a there's a uh, something called the Vanguard effect mm-hmm. that uh, Morningstar, which is an independent company, uh, coined. And what that is is that when Vanguard comes into a new market, say like Canada. Um, they actually were talking about the UK when when they coined it, but um, mm-hmm. you know Vanguard comes into a new market. Um, the competitors drop their fees so that they can compete with uh, with Vanguard. And where the competitors are in similar mandates, you'll actually see pricing um, come down uh, quite a bit. And um, we've we've quantified that in Canada in in the thirteen asset classes where we do compete. Prices have come down over the last seven years in twelve of them. Mm, wow! In the in the twelve where we don't compete, they've only come down in five of them. So, uh, you know, we like to hope that um, uh, what we're doing doesn't just benefit Vanguard investors, but rather all Canadian investors, because our competitors are forced to bring down their fees, and that helps more and more people. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I know, you know, kind of ETFs, people are talking a lot more about that, especially younger people and especially um, people that are getting more into investing or DIY investing. They want to be more active uh, themselves and be more involved, which is great because I feel like when I was growing up, all I knew is like, oh, once you want to start investing, you have to go uh, with a financial advisor and they just kind of take care of it. So I'm really excited that a lot more people, especially younger people, want to kind of take the initiative and, and learn more about it so they're more empowered and everything like that. Um, so it, it does seem like ETFs are kind of um, a, a popular choice now just because of the lower fees compared to actively managed mutual funds. But I remember also just because a lot of the financial literacy content out there is by the US. So sometimes it's it's complicated as a Canadian to be like, wait, that's a little bit different than in Canada. Um, they would always talk about index funds and ETFs. And still to this day, people are very confused about the difference. Um, and I think a big reason is because in Canada, and what I've realized by doing my research, index funds or index mutual funds is what they really are, aren't as popular as you know index-based ETFs in Canada. Why do you think that is? Right, that's a very good point, uh, Jessica. The um, it's it's interesting. In the Canadian market, the way it, it's developed, um, is that the market structure has been such that most mutual funds are distributed through. Uh, an intermediary, mm-hmm. a person, um, and that person gets compensated for um, distributing the product. That's called a trailer commission. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, over the years, just uh, the way the market had developed, um, most of the the mutual funds that were created and distributed were um, actively managed equity or actively managed fixed income. In mm-hmm. fact, as you point out, ninety eight percent of the one point five trillion dollars in in mutual funds in Canada mm-hmm. are in active mandates. Mm-hmm. Um, so there really wasn't a lot of choice for yeah. individuals or advisors. The, the, the manufacturers didn't create a lot of indexed mutual funds. Um, and the, the offerings that were out there, you know, there wasn't a lot of promotion of them. Um, and so what's happened in Canada is that ETF providers came into that space mm-hmm. and created um, beta or uh, indexed ETFs. And so Canada, in, in to some degree, has skipped indexed mutual funds and gone straight to ETFs for their vehicle um, uh, for indexing. Mm-hmm. So now when you look at the ETF market, there's about $160 billion in assets in Canada, um, and the vast majority of those are 
what you would consider um, passive or indexed ETFs. And in fact, mm -hmm. when you look at the flows into the ETF space, you know, 70% still goes to um, the, 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 the broad beta or um, passively indexed ETF products, which can be mm -hmm. available at, as you pointed out, very, uh, very attractive prices. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and easy too, because now since Canada has, you know, have has so many, well, not so many compared to the US, but, uh, you know, uh, quite a few options in terms of robo advisors, it's actually very easy for people that don't necessarily want to do the work and use a discount brokerage to, you know, buy ETFs themselves, they can get into ETFs pretty easily by, you know, going with one of the robo advisors, which is, you know, it's, it's nice to see because I feel like, one of the biggest kind of roadblocks in terms of investing, especially for young investors who are the you know main people that I talk to, is they don't want to you know go to a, a traditional kind of investment company and talk to somebody in a office. <laughs> That's intimidating. <laughs> They'd rather kind of go online and do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, it, 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 we think it's a great thing too. The the whole. Um, space of robo advisors or digital wealth providers, whatever you, you mm. want to call them. Um, quite frankly, uh, at the rates that that are being charged to manage your money, um, it it seems like a, a good place for young investors to start or kind of get to be familiar with the with the investing world, because uh, you know you can get in with some pretty low minimums. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, the the advice fee is 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 pretty good um and then as you pointed out most of them will use uh etfs in their portfolio so the product cost is reasonably low when you put it all together it's a pretty good um way for for young investors to to go um and you know you get essentially you get institutional style money management um for a for a very reasonable cost and the the digital provider will do a lot for you. In other words, they will rebalance your your um, portfolio to where you want it to be to you know achieve your financial goals. So um, we're we're encouraged by the development. It's still small mm -hmm. in the Canadian space, mm -hmm. but growing. And you may know that in the U.S. we've got uh, a very large digital offering. Um, it's uh, now at about I think 110 billion in assets, but we call it personal advisor services. And um, we found that uh, there's a, a lot of demand for it, and it's uh, um, you know something that we're going to continue building. Yeah, no, I think it'll definitely like I'm in a bit of a bubble, so I'm like, oh yeah, everyone's talking about robo advisors and ETFs. That's not the case for most people <laughs> at their kitchen table. No one's talking it's, about it. It is at ours, but uh, yeah, exactly. Not, not too many other. <laughs> no, not at most people's what I've been realizing, but uh, I, I definitely foresee that in the future, robo-advisors will become more commonplace. It just takes a while. I mean, I still remember when um, uh, ING Direct, which is now Tangerine, um, you know, started having commercials and started, you know, becoming a, a little bit more talked about back in, I guess, the early, you know, around 20, uh, 2009, 2010. And I would talk to people like, oh, this sounds like an interesting idea. Again, no fees and all this kind of stuff. It's all online. And people were just so like, oh, no, uh, it's going to fold. It, does, it seems like not secure. It sounds scary. It's all online. And now it's, you know, kind of a commonplace bank and it's, it's not a big deal anymore. But so I think it's going to it's going to take some time, I think, for Canada to Canadians to become more comfortable with the idea of these online platforms. But I, I feel like that's just the direction things are going to go into. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. It will. And yeah. I think that's natural. You know, when you have new providers in a market, and especially when you're dealing with your own money, you know, you want to make sure that um, uh, that the company is, is solid. It, it's uh, going to be around. 
um, you know, that the people involved uh, have, have some experience. And so, you know, I think it's natural for um, investors to, to want to take some time to get to know the, uh, the offerings out there and, and mm-hmm. eventually, you know, hopefully uh, they'll trust it enough to, to give it a try. Absolutely. So speaking of offerings, um, you mentioned that when uh, Vanguard Candle launched, you launched with uh, six ETFs. Is that right? Yeah, six. That's correct. Um, And now you have over 37. Is that right? We have uh, exactly 37 37. Canadian listed ETFs. That's right. Wow. So are all of those index based or what kind of ETFs? Why are there so many and what do they do? <laughs> well, uh, yes, most of them are index-based. 33 of the 37 mm. are index-based uh, ETFs. And the other four are what we would call active factor ETFs. So they're they're what you would consider a quantitative-based ETF that uh, the, the, the money is managed using certain screens. Mm. And there is some discretion in the Vanguard money managers to to make um, <clears throat> excuse me active decisions, okay. the the other um, thirty four follow an index and we manage them all to that index as closely as we can. Um, so uh, the offering actually um, when you when you look at some of our competitors, um, uh, thirty seven actually isn't a lot of ETFs. Mm. So we we don't believe in product proliferation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our uh, new product process is very rigorous. There's a list of things that Vanguard will not do because we um, it doesn't meet our investment principles. So, again, you'll recall our unique structure. Mm-hmm. Um, since we're not a public company, there's no incentive for us to engage in short-term behavior, to meet, you know, quarterly analyst goals, um, we're not a private company owned by a family or a few people, so we're not beholden to um, a small group's uh, interests. Mm-hmm. We're, we're able to actually sit back, look at the products and say, you know, we're only going to come out with products that we believe have a long-term uh, enduring need in investors' portfolios. Mm-hmm. If we think it's a short-term fad um, and, you know, an example would be thematic ETFs, you know, we're mm-hmm. not going to come out with uh, um, the the um, the marijuana ETF yeah. <laughs> or the driverless car ETF. You know that sort of thing. We think those are uh, bubbles, uh, short-term fads, and we don't think that, um, from our view of investing principles, it's appropriate for um, you know people to kind of pile into those types of investments. Mm-hmm. Um, we would say you're better off taking a long-term view, you know, setting your financial goals and objectives, getting your asset allocation down, mm-hmm. and then rebalancing to your asset allocation. In the long term, you know, we really believe that that's going to serve investors much better than, you know, chasing the latest fad or the hottest returns. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I would just add, uh, you know, we've we, um, created some products that mirror that philosophy, which we came out with in February, there's three um, asset allocation ETFs. Mm-hmm. And what they do is is um, for 22 basis points, you purchase the ETF and it's one ticket, it's one ETF. Mm-hmm. And then underneath that, we have seven of our 
um, other ETFs that get rebalanced into certain proportions uh, based on what the investor has has chosen. So mm. 60% equity, 40% fixed income, and we will we will constantly keep it at that 60-40 for you. Oh. Um, and again, we think that's a pretty attractive cost and in, and and a good way again for young investors or DIY investors to get into the the market because it's a set it and forget it. You know, you buy it and we will constantly keep it at that allocation for you. Oh, that's right. So it, so- it sounds like it's almost a, a, your kind of version of like a robo-advisor in terms of, you know, people go to robo-advisors so they could easily buy ETFs and it's rebalanced and they don't have to think about it. It's set and forget it. Is that kind of sim- like this, the similar way of thinking for it? Um, it is, but that's certainly not the intention of the product. No. Um, we definitely, it, it really is a product. So, yeah, right. you know, as an investor, you will need to determine whether you want to be in the 60-40 or the 40-60. Mm. You know, that's that's your decision. Um, and, you know, we don't offer some of the other services there that the robos would like. Right. Um, you know, like financial you, advice or anything right, like that. Exactly. Yeah, so it's just or, the rebalancing, basically. <clears throat> right, or tax uh, efficiency, those sorts of things. That That's up to the individual and their advisor at this stage. Okay, great. Well, that's really cool. I think that's an in- interesting uh, kind of innovation. Um, yeah, they've done yeah. Uh, they've done really well. I mean, we're we're over seven hundred million in those products. Uh, we're basically each month um, they're attracting about a hundred million in assets, and so wow. we've been, yeah, very very happy with them. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I bet you are. <laughs> I, I think the market. <laughs> I think the market was uh, ready. You know, yeah. um, uh, there was a time a few years ago where we looked at similar products and we were going to launch them, but we just, uh, in conversations with a number of advisors felt like they weren't ready for it. And, um, those conversations changed a lot over the last year. So we felt like now was the time to come out as well as the, as you pointed out, the growing awareness of, um, fees and investing at the, at the retail level, at the individual level. And it just seemed uh, like a right time and, and, um, fortunately for us and and for our end investors, uh, you know, it, it was uh, it was it was uh, good timing. Definitely. Um, and I know you guys recently also launched, it seems like you're always kind of launching new um, products, but you have another one that just came out has a very long name, but the ticker is V-I-D-Y. Can you explain what what is that and why you launched that um, at the end of August? Sure. Um, and, and I must say, you know, Vanguard's well known for its plain talk and, uh, <laughs> and uh, brevity. But the, with this one, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, regulations that go into yeah. the name of what you call something. And uh, uh, we couldn't shorten it. So it's the Vanguard FTSE Developed X North America High Dividend Yield Index ETF. Yeah, not easy <laughs> to say in a conversation, no, is it? <laughs> that's a mouthful, all right. But, uh, so the ticker symbol is VIDI. I think we've been yeah, calling it. That's easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, various uh, VIDY. Um, and uh, so it's basically, uh, um, it's it's an ETF that basically we're, we're trying to provide investors with an opportunity for um, stronger equity yield potential. So in mm-hmm. other words, income. Um, income is a is a very topical um, theme in investments, uh, especially these days, where mm-hmm. you know fixed income is is not yielding a lot of uh, income for investors. So there's been a lot of interest in in um, dividend products where you'll get a higher distribution or yield than you would say in in an average um, uh, beta product that's following the entire market. Um, like with a lot of things that Vanguard does. 
we we believe that you should have broad diversification. So this ETF in particular will give you access to 23 developed international markets outside of North America. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a product that we felt uh, we were missing in our in our suite. So we came out with it uh, a couple of months back. Okay. So, but this particular ETF shouldn't necessarily, when you're looking at kind of your, your asset allocation, shouldn't replace the fixed income or, or, or is it kind of a replacement for, okay. It still would be in the equities section. Correct. It's an equity product. Yes. Um, uh, and, and that's a good point though, Jessica, because um, when people think about yield or distributions, Mm -hmm. sometimes they will make some decisions uh, that have impacts that they may not realize are impacts. So I'll give you an example. Um, when somebody says, you know, I've got a bond portfolio and I'm only getting, you know, I'll say it over, I'm only getting two and a half percent on my, my bonds that are being held. I need more yield or mm. more uh, interest. Um, and then they'll go and buy a high yield uh, bond. It's considered a bond ETF that may yield, five or six percent and then they'll feel like hey this is great now i'm getting you know more um interest income Mm -hmm. paid to me but when you look at how high yield bonds behave especially in times of crises Mm. they actually behave just like equities Mm. because there's there's more risk involved in high yield bonds so when you had the the fiscal crisis for example you know the value of your high yield bond portfolio would have plummeted like your equity portfolio did and it did not behave like your classic um, government or strong corporate um, bond would, and so when you think about bonds and equities, um, it's it's important that you also kind of consider the nature of the bonds that you're holding. Mm-hmm. And you know, just to conclude on, on your point, they are not a substitute for equities, and they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. They're actually, um, you know, they're actually there to be an offset to the volatility of the the returns that you're going to get through your equities. Absolutely. Um, I would love to kind of uh, talk a little bit about that because I'm sure you have quite a bit of experience in terms of a financial crisis, market correction, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's been a while since our last one. So I think a lot of young investors uh, don't have that experience. I certainly do. That's when I graduated <laughs> university, 2009, not a great year. Um, so I'm like, oh, okay, so this is interesting. Um, so I feel like there's a, a whole generation of uh, young investors that, that – uh, have just been experiencing or seeing really great returns. They're like, oh, great. I'm just going to have a portfolio of like, you know, 90% equities. What could go wrong? Um, what are some people, what are some things, uh, especially young investors who've never experienced, you know, kind of a, a market crash? Uh, what should they be aware of? What should they, you know, be prepared for? Um, yeah, good point. You're right. There's probably a number of your um, listeners and uh, who haven't actually experienced that cycle. Um, uh, and as you pointed out, some of us have. I've yeah. experienced uh, too many of them already. Yeah. But, uh, I know it makes you it makes you a bit wary. Um, the I would say you know the important thing gets back to we talked a little bit about this. Mm-hmm. It gets back to having an understanding of what your financial goals are. Mm-hmm. You know whether you're saving for college. Uh, whether you're saving for a house and for some of us, you know, you're saving for retirement. I mean, um, you, you should look at your goals, um, what you need to get you there, and then set an asset allocation that, you know, based on um, various factors. 
factors you think will get you there um, when you need that that income or you need to buy a house. Um, so that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Once you do that and you feel good about it, after that, it's it, it's important to rebalance. So if you for you know if you said I'm young, I can take some risks. I'll be eighty percent equities. 20% fixed income. Mm-hmm. Well, if um, equities perform really well and your your portfolio grows there and you become 90% equity, 10 fixed income, you should sell some of your equity and put it into fixed income so you mm-hmm. stay at 80-20. That's important. Um, that's hard to do as mm. an investor. That's where you know we talked a little bit about robo-advisors who will do that for you or an advisor you mm-hmm. know, can help you with that if you're not um, comfortable, you know, doing that on a regular basis, a couple mm-hmm. times a year, for example. Um, so, uh, so that's very important, and it's important to, if you feel that your goals are correct, it's important to stick to your asset allocation. Forget about the noise in the market. So, if um, you know if the market goes down twenty percent, you shouldn't make rash decisions and start selling everything. Mm-hmm. Um, that is one of the biggest mistakes investors make. They sell at the wrong time and they buy at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that combined with chasing historical returns. So in other words, you mm-hmm. look at the performance of, say, a certain active mutual fund and you say, wow, it's done really well the last five years. I'm going to buy it. <laughs> and inevitably, the next five years, it's not going to do as well. Um, so that's important to keep in mind too. I think those are probably two of the biggest mm-hmm. mistakes. And it's not just young investors, by no. the way. It's really all investors. Um, and a lot of it is, you could spend a, a lot of time talking about behavioral yeah. economics. And I'm sure you've read a lot of that, mm-hmm. Jessica. And that, that's the point. Look, we're all human beings. You know, it's in our nature to do this kind of stuff. So you have to understand that that is probably, you know, your personality and most people will make those decisions. So, so you really have to either be disciplined about it or talk to someone who can help you and be a professional and coach you ar- mm-hmm. around those times when things may um, you know, not be doing so well in the markets. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I hear a, a lot of, uh, especially when there is kind of a dip in the market, that's when people panic. And honestly, even for me, I you know recently been testing out just buying some individual stocks uh, just to kind of test it out and uh, see see if I could actually stomach it. And it's it's hard seeing those ups and downs, and you're, it's just. I know, you know, logically, it doesn't make sense to sell when it's starting to dip. But that's literally what was my reaction the other day. I'm like, maybe I should sell and just, you know, I'll salvage what I've got. I'm like, wait, what am I doing? I know better. I know this is the opposite of what I should be doing. It's very difficult. Even the smartest person will feel like they want to do it. Well, absolutely. And, you know, I've got family members, uh, my sister, who uh, in in 2009, when everything was falling Mm -hmm. Apart, you know, she called me and uh, we had uh, set up some portfolios for my nieces mm-hmm. at the time to kind of um, be educational uh, mm-hmm. pools for them when they go to college. And and she called me up and, and said, "Whoa!" Like I looked at it, and it's way down. Should I sell? Mm-hmm. And I said, "Do not sell. <laughs> yeah, do not <laughs> touch that. Would be the worst thing you could do because we're talking about you know um, something that we need and probably." 10 years uh and yeah. <laughs> believe me yeah you know it's gonna it'll come back it's a question of when but uh you know now is not the time so that's yeah. probably a good example of where somebody whether it's a person or a robo that that does it for yeah. you 
can take that decision out of your hands. Yes. You have to kind of, you have to trust it. Yes. And even, even the people that I know who do use robo advisors, they still panic though. Luckily they, they can't like press a button that says sell, but, um, it's, it's, I think it's important to, for, I always tell people this. I'm like, if you're feeling kind of panicky, but you know, you're especially investing for the long term, you don't need that money until you retire in 30 to 40 years. Just stop checking your account. You don't need yes, to know right, right now. Right, don't check. Right. And so for me, I check monthly just because I update my net worth monthly, but I, 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 I'm gotten into the habit. Like it is what it is. And for most people, I'm like, don't, if you don't need to check it once a year, a couple of times a year, but don't, don't do it too regularly. It's don't if, if the app is on your phone and you're checking it daily, delete the app. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. And I think I, I saw some statistic. I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but the number of times the average person goes into their um, cell phone, you know, mm-hmm. to punch in their their um, their password to to look at their emails or the the net. I mean, it. I think it was in it was over a hundred. I think times. Oh a day. my gosh! Yeah, that's probably so true. It's pretty big, right? And yeah, that's probably true. And it's probably just going to get higher. So it's a yep. very good point. Uh, even if you go into your uh, Safari or what have you, uh, you know, it's, it, there's no need to look at your uh, um, your statement or your uh, mm-hmm. your, your account uh, that many times a no. day or even that many times a week. Absolutely. Um, and before I let you go, because um, I really appreciate um, Vanguard uh, Canada's website. Lots of great free resources on there. Um, my favorite tool is probably the investor questionnaire. So when people are listening to this, uh, you know, interview, and could we talked a little bit about how to determine your, you know, preferred asset mix, you know, how much equities, how much fixed income should you do? I really like the free tool that you have to, you know, basically it's just an investor questionnaire. You ask, uh, answer all these questions, and it'll kind of spit out a suggestion on what your ideal asset mix should be depending on all these factors like your risk tolerance and time horizon goals and all that kind of stuff. So um, is there any other kind of um, tools or resources um, that you guys can provide that might be uh, interesting for listeners? Um, no, thank you. I, I, I'm, I'm glad you used that uh, tool on our site. Um, we, we think it's great too. just, uh, you know, part of our uh, mandate we've talked about is education and just trying to help investors uh, make good decisions and right decisions. So mm-hmm. that's terrific. Um, no, I would, I would just echo that and say, you know, we do create a lot of thought leadership pieces as well. And those yeah. will always be on our, our website and Vanguard does try to, you know, put out thought leadership that is well-researched, um, uh, you know, that, that, that we hope provides investors with education and we're, we're not about pushing our product. So mm-hmm. um, most of the time you won't see any mention of our products in there, but really the idea is to share, you know, the, the research that uh, a lot of our uh, bright investment strategists do uh, um, around the globe. So that, that's always mm-hmm. something to, to look at as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much at all for taking the time to chat with me about investing. It was a pleasure. Great. Well, thank you very much as well, Jessica. Thanks for the time. And uh, hopefully uh, this will be helpful to some of your uh, your listeners. And that was episode 170 with Atal Tawari. He's the Managing Director and Head of Vanguard Investments Canada. Uh, make sure to check out vanguardcanada.ca for more info about them. They actually have like, honestly, honestly, a lot of great free resources I use there. Um, they have this investment questionnaire that basically helps you determine 
what your risk tolerance is, but also um, kind of if you are a DIY investor or if you want to go with a robo advisor and you just you want to get kind of an outside perspective on like what should your asset mix be like how many you know what percentage of equities um, to fixed income should you be I use that questionnaire all the time it's on their website and you just like go through the questionnaire and then it kind of spits out this is what your asset mix should be um, but they have a lot of great um, free resources on their website uh, which is great um, and as I mentioned I also wrote a lengthy blog post all about them so if you want to read that go to jessicamorehouse.com slash vanguard I'll also include a link in the show notes speaking of the show notes go to jessicamorehouse.com slash 170 to read more about what we talked about um, get kind of the Coles notes and all that good stuff a couple exciting things to um, announce so first and foremost um, in about a week's time next Wednesday October 10th um, I am going to be doing a free webinar and one can sign up. It is all about side hustles. So for the past little year, two, year and a, year and a half, year, I don't know, time's weird. I don't actually remember how long it's been, but I've been doing this um, workshop presentation um, throughout Toronto for a year or two, can't remember, um, all about how to become a side hustler. And it's a bit of a, a bit of a hit. They've had me back to so many different places. Um, and uh, I thought, hey, so for people who do not live in Toronto, I should probably do something for them in case they want to um, learn about how to start a side hustle. It is, again, my kind of background. I started my own side hustle. It helped me um, earn more than my day job, which was important because, you know, like seven or eight years ago, I was making peanuts. So I needed to, you know, make some extra money. And then eventually, you know, all these years later, turned that side hustle into my full time hustle. So in this free webinar, I go into what are the different kind of categories of uh, side hustles? What are the steps to kind of create and, you know, an idea, do some brainstorming? And what are some action steps that you can do so you can start to your own side hustle makes some extra money. Um, for me, like the benefits are kind of obvious, but um, the more money you make, the you know sooner you can reach your financial goals. Like that's really what it comes down to. I'm not trying to sell you some like you know get rich quick. I don't believe in that crap. I believe in hard work and uh, the hustle. And uh, I, I think this uh, if you're interested in figuring out you know you've budgeted to the max, there's nowhere else to cut back. Sometimes you need to make some extra money. So a side hustle is uh, one way to do that. So. Anyways, if you would like to save a seat, register, just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash side hustle webinar. Once again, that's jessicamorehouse.com slash side hustle webinar, or go to the show notes and you can uh, sign up, save your seat. It'll be a ton of fun. Um, what else is there? What else is there? I always feel like I'm forgetting something. Mm, I think that's the big news for the minute. Um, as I mentioned, working on an investing course. Hopefully, it is going to be complete and ready um, to become public in the next couple weeks. But uh, the way you'll find out first is, of course, going onto my email list, jessicmorehouse.com slash subscribe. Oh, I remembered what I was going to do. Uh, it's been a little while since I've done some iTunes reviews, so I'm going to do just some shout outs. Uh, so I'm going to get to a couple of those right now. Okay, first review is from Rebecca. 
Gals a rebel from Norway. Shut the front door, girl. Thank you from Norway. That is, or you're from Norway. I'm not, but you know what I'm saying. Thank you so much, um, Norway. I've always wanted to go there. Um, okay. So, anyways, a review is um, super engaging. Upon discovering this podcast, I literally binged all of the episodes in two weeks. Oh my god, uh, the show is really uh, has really interesting guests and topics, and Jessica's interviewing style is casual but super engaging at the same time. I feel like I want her to be my new BFF. Keep up the great work. You can be my BFF if I can stay at your place. If I go to Norway, how's that sound? <laughs> Thank you so much, Rebecca. Rebecca is a rebel. Oh, sorry. I I am wearing glasses, so that's no excuse. I just misread that. So thank you so much for that review. Um, next up, I would got um, from AML or AML seven three six eight from the US of A. Um, really enjoy this podcast. It's such a nice balance of depth and fun, and it is also it also has a nice balance of the very topics in the personal finance space. Also, side note, I love her laugh. Oh, <laughs> she loves my laugh. It brings such a smile to my face. The sad thing is, no, I'm like, when do I laugh? Do I laugh on my own when I'm doing the intros and outros? That's sad. No, I guess I do laugh during the interviews. I don't even notice when I do that. Thank you so much for your review. I appreciate it. And thanks for saying that you like my lap. Um, got one here. Recent one um, uh, from, sorry, Vincent B75 from Canada. Hello, great podcast. I would just want to let you know that the CoinUp app quoted in the podcast is not available in Canada. What a pity. I know. And I believe, like, I am 99% sure that we did talk about that within the interview because I'm obviously Canadian and I cannot use it. So you may not have, you may have missed that bit of the episode. So yeah, sorry, but they do say on their website and I did, I do remember asking her, this is why I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's in that episode. I could just re-listen to it, but um, she said that it, they hope to bring it to other countries, including Canada in 2019. So look out for that, hopefully. So thank you for taking the time to uh, give me a review and share your thoughts. Um, if you're listening for the first time ever, feel free to do that. And I will put you into uh, the next episode, give you a nice little shout out. Because um, I like uh, seeing what you feel and you think and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Anyways, I will be back next week with a fabulous episode with um, a gal I've known for a while, Amanda Abea. She uh, was a personal finance blogger. And now she's a sales coach. And uh, we talk about earning money. Another, as, as much as I love talking about investing, I also love talking about earning some coins. So that is what you got to look forward to next week. I'll be back here next Wednesday. I will see you then. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.